Good morning. I have the opportunity today to um, wrap up our Beyond Smart sermon series uh, here. It's been a six-week study in the book of Proverbs, um, just looking at wisdom and how we can apply it to our life. I hope this series has been enlightening. I hope it's challenged you. And today, I'm going to take this thing, and I'm really going to challenge you even harder today. It's going to be an awesome conclusion. So if you would please stand. I'm going to go ahead and read our scripture that we're going to base everything off of today. It's Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It says, For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Father, God, bless the word today. Open our ears, hearts, and minds to hear and see what you have to say uh, in this time, God. Amen. Uh, so this, this whole series has been focused on obtaining wisdom. The Bible clearly shows that God is a source of a lot of wisdom. And I think uh, our messages, I think this message today is going to be applicable whether you are a believer or not. Here's why. Good advice is good advice. For example... Whether or not you believe an oven is hot, see what happens if you put your hand on it. Right? You're going to get burned. Regardless if you believe it's hot or not, if an oven's hot, you're going to get burned. That's good universal advice. Don't touch a hot oven. Cool? So here's the thing. We use these words wisdom and knowledge a lot. And we toss them around synonymously. We, we, we act like they mean the same thing. You know, he's a wise guy. He's really, you know, knowledgeable or whatever. Um, they're actually two different words. As a matter of fact, God in, all through the Bible refers to them as different things. When we see Acts and it talks about uh, the gifts of the Spirit, it says to some are given knowledge and to some are given wisdom. All right? So I always like to delve into these things and get an understanding of, of why. Like, what does this mean so that we can really grasp what's going on today? Knowledge is facts and information. If you read a book, you can get knowledge. You hear a story, you can get knowledge. You, you talk to someone who's got experience, you can get knowledge. Knowledge is just basic, raw data. Okay? Wisdom, uh, this is my simplest definition, is application and strategy. So it's like knowing how to do something. Not knowing what something is, it's not what, it's how. You know, knowledge might even be why. Wisdom is how. And so I love this definition of wisdom. True wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. I think that's really good stuff. And uh, so let me, let me lay this out and make it really simple here. Uh, anybody in here play chess? Checkers? Monopoly? Video games? Um, go fish? Does anyone not play any of those? Insert random board game there, okay? Um, so here's the thing. You and I might both know how to play chess, all right? We both know the moves. We both know how it works. But the person who's going to win is the person who is more wise about it. They know how to use that knowledge. I'll give you guys a great example. Chris Tarpley, I've been picking on him all morning. He's finally here. Chris Tarpley is a phenomenal chess player. He's really good. And so I heard that he was really good and he's got a chess board in his office. So I'm like, I know how to play chess. I know, I know how to play chess. Um, I was in second grade chess club. So that's about the extent of my wisdom for chess. And I'm like, I got to check this guy out. So we go up there. I kid you not. I wish I was exaggerating. Um, we play, I don't, I don't think it's more than eight moves. Um, I think I took uh, 
four or five of his pieces. I was pretty happy with myself. I don't know if you can take that many pieces and have me move, but that's what happened. I was like, okay. And uh, um, eight moves in, 10 moves in, game's over. He took two of my pieces. One of them was the king. <laughs> I think he took the other pawn just to prove a point, like he could if he wanted to. And uh, so we both knew how to play the game, but he had the wisdom to embarrass me. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Uh, so, okay, let's quickly recap. This has been a six-week series. We are a month and a half away from where we started. So that first week, we just laid the foundation for wisdom, right? What is wisdom? Why do we want it? It was a great week. Um, the last four weeks, we have focused on different specific areas uh, and, and secrets, if you will, to obtaining or applying wisdom. So in week two, we talked about uh, the, the message called Get Advice. Wise people surround themselves with people to give them advice. The more eyes you have on something, the better chance you're going to see something that's wrong with it. The less experience you have with something, or even if you have a ton of experience, the more collective experience you bring in, the better something's going to go. Better something's going to go. Wise people get advice. Uh, the, the third week well, was titled, Get Busy. All right? Wise people put work and effort in now to reap the rewards in the future. They invest in themselves. They're wise, they're strategists. They know if they put work in now, what's gonna happen down the road? Two weeks ago, our messages get connected. And it was, you know, we all have family, friends, um, coworkers that are bad influence, and we know who they are. And we have those that are great influence. A wise man or woman would surround themselves with people who would lift them up, who would surround them, who would make them better. Last week we said get knowledge. And knowledge and wisdom, we understand the difference, right? Wise people hunger for knowledge. They don't approach it with a know-it-all attitude. They approach it with humility. They want to learn. They want to listen. They want more. Why? Wisdom is applying knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the more you have to apply the more you have to strategize with, the more you have to succeed in life. So that brings us to today, which is gonna be our last Sunday in the series. And here is our last challenge of this series. There's so much more in Proverbs. I hope you've seen our stuff on Facebook. Uh, we've had the videos with the guy up here. We've had different readings. There's so much here. But the last thing we wanna focus on in the series is this, get anchored. Get anchored. I want you to think of an anchor. And anytime I think of an anchor, I think of a pirate ship. It's like the appropriate boat to think about when you're, when you're thinking about nautical stuff, right? Big old pirate ship. And um, you think about the you know, cool anchor that sailors have tattooed on their arms. Um, but, but all boats have anchors, okay? Um, and it doesn't matter if they're a little bitty fishing boat like my grandpa and I used to fish on. doesn't matter if it was the Titanic or a, a cruise ship even bigger than that. Everywhere in between, they all have an anchor. Why? Because an anchor does two super important things. Thing number one, ship is on course, everything's good, the ocean starts getting rough, the wind starts blowing, it starts raining, it's gonna, they're in danger of losing their course, they drop anchor and they hold tight where they're at until the bad stuff passes, and then they can pull up the anchor and continue on their way. It's just good strategy. Second reason, um, it will help them like accomplish like or focus in one area to finish a goal. For example, if you're fishing, you drop an anchor. Here's a good reason why. You get swept up in fishing. You're there for four or five hours. You don't even keep track of what the time is. Next thing you know, you've drifted eight miles out to sea. That's a bad thing. 
Lines are all tangled up in your motor, so we drop an anchor, right, to stay focused. Or back to our pirate ship reference, if you're a pirate ship and you see one of the English ships and you want to board it and take their stuff, you probably want to drop your anchor by their ship so that when you're stepping across, it doesn't pull apart and you fall in the ocean, which of course there were sharks at that moment right there, right? It's a bad idea. So an anchor can uh, weather some bad time or it can help you stay focused in one area to accomplish what you need to do. Why do we need to get anchored? Let's, let's tie it together here. Because no matter what the captain's plans are, doesn't matter how well he's thought things out, sometimes the ocean just doesn't agree. Just does not tolerate um, what, or it does not deal with the, his plans appropriately. So what a wise captain does is he puts his faith in his anchor to lock him in place to, to win um, that stuff passes so he can keep moving forward. What does this sound like? It sounds like life, right? How many of you know that life can change in an instant? A second. I had a meeting this Thursday morning um, with Pastor Paul and some of the other pastors. And uh, I went to school for philosophy and theology. I always tell people this because it explains why I'm weird. Because sometimes people say things and it like eats at me a little bit. Like I have to, like, what does that really mean? And so Paul says something, and when we were wrapping up our time, in his prayer, he made a statement that I, like, it was eating at me all day because it, so, it was so potent. And here's what his prayer was. He said, Lord, we don't know if at the end of the day we will be praising or if we will be mourning. But we do know that you're good, and we pray that you would be with us today. And I thought, wow. How true is that? We all wake up in the morning. We have a morning routine that we do. Um, lately, I've been cooking a lot of, like, omelets. I think that's been a cool thing. And, like, you know, you, you may have the thing you make for breakfast every day. You brush your teeth, walk your dog, do that kind of a thing. And um, at no point in time in that morning do you think, okay, um, there's a good chance today is going to be terrible because I'm going to get in a fender bender and I'm going to spill hot coffee on myself and my dog's going to run away, right? We don't like wake up in the morning and like decide that it's going to be a bad day and embrace like everything that's going to happen. Those things happen in an instant. We say something dumb and it changes things in an instant, right? So our lives are like ships and we are literally at the mercy sometimes of just our environment, so this is why we need to get anchored. We need to be the good, wise captain that knows when stuff is starting to throw him off course and he can't stay focused on the goal, that he can drop anchor and weather a storm. That's why we need to get anchored. It's a good thing. Otherwise, we'll get swept away in whatever mess it is and there's no telling where we're gonna be when it all blows over or how long it's gonna take us to get back to where we were. So this is gonna be... Um, it's going to be a dense message. I always warn people ahead of time when it's going to be kind of a heavy message because, uh, I don't know, there's something about wisdom and introspection and looking at your life that's a heavy thing. And so uh, I'm sorry if I don't joke enough this sermon for you. I apologize in advance. But I want to let you know, before um, I speak a message like this, um, I don't come up here lightly to do this. Like when I'm writing this, it kind of like tears at me a little bit because I have to sit and evaluate my own life because how can I get up here and blow smoke? Like, how can I get up here and just pretend like this is a good idea for you, 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 I'm, I'm okay. Um, and so as I'm writing this, and you'll, you'll understand as we go through the points here, it challenged me. It challenged me to look at my life. And so this whole time as we go through this, I really want this to challenge you too. And, 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 and take a look in, in your own hearts. So anchor points. 
We need an anchor. We need stuff to tie ourselves to. And I think the word anchor, um, I, I kind of use it synonymously with foundation. They kind of have a similar use, right? So an anchor, you tie something to that so that everything up here can stay good for a foundation and like a home or something. You want to build a good foundation so that the building doesn't, you know, topple over on you, right? That's a good thing. And um, yeah, so when I think of anchor points, I think about something we can tie ourselves to, a good, good foundation, if you will. Proverbs chapter three, verse 31 says, do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways for the Lord detests a perverse man but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 23, 17 says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. A wise person has values that reflect godly principles and they can tie their hope to God. They can tie their hope to God. And uh, being anchored in ungodly stuff is gonna be a mess. It's gonna leave you vulnerable when things shift. Uh, I want you to think about two natural disasters and I want you to think about the difference on them. All right, think about a tornado. When we see the news after a tornado, um, what do you see? You see kind of like everything's a mess and you might see houses completely wiped away, but the basement's still there, right? The basement's there, the concrete, you know, what it's poured on might be right there. The foundation remains. Because in a tornado, the tornado tacks, if you will, to get unsciencey, um, from the top and works its way down, in a sense. It can destroy everything on the top, but the foundation can be left. And you can take those slabs and you can build right back on top of them again. Now think of an earthquake. Earthquakes are amazing because you take the tallest skyscraper in the world, and an earthquake, which never breaks above the ground, it never leaves the ground itself, can take out the tallest, um, the highest floor in the tallest building. Why is that? Jenga effect. It knocks out the foundation. It compromises the foundation. And when the foundation is compromised, everything topples over. You can take a three-story house with a nice foundation. You can whack off the third story Foundation one and two are still standing. You can even go and wipe off everything if a house is really terrible, still have a great foundation in place and build it. But you cave in a basement or you cave in the foundation, your third story is not just gonna float up there. You know, with little stairs, you just go up here. Everything's gonna topple. Everything's gonna topple. So these principles, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit five of them that I think are pretty challenging ones to look at in our lives. And uh, I think these are places that we literally have the options to have either a really firm foundation in it that's uncompromising or unchanging, or we can have a really temperamental, shifting, kind of like sand foundation that is volatile and at the mercy of the world around us. So here's, here's one of them. I, I want you to think about these, and I want you, when I'm, I'm going through these, to look at your life and look at how you react and how you deal with things. And you're gonna figure out real quick, quickly which piece is your foundation and which piece is at the mercy of your foundation. Because everything built on top is at the mercy of what's beneath it. The Jenga effect, it's cool. Respect and love for people. This is a godly value. In Proverbs chapter three, verse three, it says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So when we look at love and respect, 
What's at your base? What is your foundation? Is love and respect your foundation? Where you wake up in the morning knowing that you're gonna be loving and respectful to anyone you see. That no matter what gets built on you that day, your boss is a jerk, someone, you know, is really mean to you, whatever. Um, there's someone that has been turned on you in your life and you're really uh, upset with them. And that, you know, that day just kind of builds on. Do you have love and respect at your base that no matter what happens, you'll respect the authority of the people over you? Or that when someone turns on you, that more than it hurts you, you're hurt that they would do that and you mourn for them. You pray for them. Because if love and respect is at the base, then no matter what's on top of it, when it's all swept away, and this is the beautiful thing about a day, we wake up in the morning and we can have a terrible day. And when we go to bed, we have a chance to wipe everything away and start over. But we still have that love and respect. Or is how you're treated the foundation of your love and respect that day. What I mean is, is the first thing that happens to you that day, does that lay a level that will determine whether or not you have love and respect that day? It's a big thing to think of. Um, here's another one. This is probably one of the hardest ones. Discipline. That's a godly value. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4 says, Those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. When I think of discipline, the word that, that, that is, um, comes into play, the balance here, discipline and stability. All right? Uh, someone who's disciplined, no matter what, will do that thing. A disciplined runner does not matter if they work 18 hours that day or two hours that day. They will run if that is their day to run. Uh, a disciplined, uh, per, a person who's very disciplined about their diet, what they eat, they don't care if they're on vacation and fast food is more convenient. They are so disciplined that they are gonna find a way to eat right. Doesn't matter if it's stable life or unstable life. Here's what tends to be the case, and, and I think there's a lot of areas a lot of us can say we're very disciplined in, but there's a lot of other areas where our discipline is at the mercy of our stability. This is like me and working out. Anytime things get busy, I have a really hard time finding a, a priority to work out in my life, to exercise. And the thought always is, oh yeah, when things slow down, when life is stable, then I can get this discipline back in my life. Right? We look at this with uh, reading our word even, spending time in prayer. When I work nine to five today, plenty of time for prayer, plenty of time for the word. I've got it worked in. That sounds disciplined, right? It's not when you work a nine to nine and the discipline goes out the window with your stability. So look at your life and what is the base of, of your discipline? Is it I'm gonna be disciplined and do this stuff no matter what? No matter if it's a stable day, an unstable day, a crazy day, a good day, a normal day, no matter what's built on here, I have this good base of discipline. Or is your, is your discipline based on your stability? Today's really stable. I'm gonna add some discipline on top of that. Today's really crazy. I'm gonna just eat junk food all day today. I mean, like, that's, like a, that's like the real deal here. It's godly to be disciplined. It's godly to be disciplined in our word, in our ethics, in our, in our work. Let's move on. Or words and attitude. Here's a, here's a godly value, having a positive attitude and positive words, lifting people up. It says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint and a man of understanding is even-tempered. 
again, at the foundation, at the start of our day, no matter what happens, are we, are we gonna attack things with a can-do attitude, with the right attitude, with positive words? Where no matter what our circumstances are, at the end of the day, we have a foundation to, to be, have a strong, stable attitude, or do our circumstances dictate our attitude? It's really volatile if it works that way. And you can probably look at your life and think of times where it has. And you realize like the simplest thing, your spouse forgot to do something in the morning. Um, your dog ran outside and got all muddy and jumped on you. Like the simplest thing like that literally caves everything in because your foundation is what are my circumstances today? Moving on. This one's not just for the ladies here. I don't wanna get in trouble. Emotions. Your emotions. Um, check this out. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. What does this mean? In the time the Proverbs were written, we didn't have the Air Force, which means it doesn't matter how big our walls are. Nowadays, we can just fly a plane right over and drop people in and take things over. That's really cool. Um, but they couldn't do that these days. So the only defense you had, or the only way you could attack something is to walk up to it or ride up to it on a camel or horse. And um, the defense you had, and the only defense you needed to have was to have a really big wall. You cannot ride a camel over a wall. Hence the Great Wall of China, right? You can't ride anything over the Great Wall of China. It stands between um, invaders wanting to take stuff from you and uh, your stability. And so it says, a city without a wall, uh, or excuse me, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. A person who does not have self-control and does not have control of their emotions is literally at the mercy of anybody who wants to come into their life, steal, kill, destroy, take anything they want and walk away because they don't have those guards up. People know how to push people's buttons. If I know I can get someone upset, all you gotta do is say one little comment and all of a sudden you've got the, the ability to rule their whole entire life. So do circumstances dictate your emotions? Or do you wake up every day stable knowing that no, stable knowing that, um, no matter what happens, You've got control, you've got poise, you've got confidence. And anyone can spit in your face and do anything they want to. And you can just look at them and go, that's nice, thank you. Appreciate your opinion. I'm gonna put that in the opinion box, the trash can. So your emotions, do circumstances dictate your emotions or do your emotions dictate how you handle circumstances? I've got one more, there's a lot more, but I don't want anyone to get too mad at me, so I'm gonna... I'm gonna finish with this point and then move on to something else. We'll get away from poking at people. Generosity. This is a godly principle. It's a godly value. Proverbs chapter 11, 24 and 25 says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. This is really, this is tough. I think all of us fancy ourselves as generous people because I think a lot of us, maybe more or less, this is up to you, look in your life at this. We all would like to be generous. We would all like to give things to people. And so I think we think, oh, we're generous. And, and, and here I think is the trap we get in. When I have a lot of money, oh, I just can't wait to give it away when I get a lot of money. 
Man, I'll start tithing when I get enough money to, to run my life. Man, I'll start giving to missions. Maybe it's time. Man, when I have enough time, when, when I, uh, you know, quit going to school and, and working three jobs, I'll have enough time to, you know, spend time in prayer for people or spend time serving people. Then I'll be generous. That is not generosity. That is an if-then statement. And if uh, you ever took math or logic or anything, if-then statements really are terrible. Because it, it goes something like this. If Jeremy has seven jelly beans, and if, if Jeremy has seven jelly beans, then Susan has four Skittles. Like, okay. Um, but if Jeremy has seven jelly beans and nine dollars, then Susan has $800. And you're like, what? Where did that come from? That doesn't even make sense. How did we get from Skittles to dollars, right? It's really volatile. It's like at the mercy. It's like at a moment you can change your ifs and it completely changes the outcome of everything. And this is the problem is when the stuff is all based on ifs and thens, when our generosity is based on ifs and thens, we're not actually that generous. If it's convenient, then we're generous. If it's inconvenient, we'll pretend like we'll be generous one day. So something to look at at our base. It's generosity at the base, and because of that, wealth doesn't matter, or is wealth at the base, and then this godly principle of generosity is at the mercy of that. It's a really hard thing. And so I think these are all areas where we can see the obvious benefits in having a godly foundation, because the alternate is temperamental. It is unstable. It becomes an if-then. If I have a good day today, then I'll represent God well. If I have a bad day today, then I'm just going to do whatever I want. And we get, it's really dangerous when we get into that because um, God is unchanging and stable, right? And the only reason people's opinions of God change is because unstable, volatile people like started representing him different ways. It's like people somehow thought in the Old Testament God was meaner and then he got really lovey-dovey in the New Testament. But now depending on like what, where your faith is, God is either you know, like a racist, sexist, bigoted, you know, bearded guy or he's this, everyone is awesome, everything is cool, kind of a lackadaisical guy who threw out all the rule books. And so it's just interesting because God never changes. I don't know how many times God's got to say that about himself. What changes is people. People are volatile. And so here is the big last challenge and the big thing to anchor yourself to. Is God what your life is anchored to? Or is God at the mercy of your life? Is your faith rooted in God? Or is your faith dependent on yourself? Because then our faith becomes an if-then statement. And that gets super dangerous. If things are going well, then I believe that God is good. Then I uh, will have God in my life. Then I'll go to church. Then I'll do this. Then I'll do that. But if things are going bad then God must have left me. And, and when, when we see that, we can look at our lives and say, really? Are we really anchored to God? But if we anchor ourselves to God, something that's unchanging, this firm foundation, then we can weather any storm. The point of an anchor is to, no matter what happens, to be able to stay focused when that time passes. A wise man would anchor himself to something that is unchanging and stable. The, the verse we open with today, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 through 11. Um, 
the, it says, for the Lord grants wisdom. Uh, it goes on a little bit, and I love the end of it. It says, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. He's a shield to those that walk with integrity, guards the path. There's, there's, this is good. Proverbs 18, um, 10 and 11 says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Boy, that's a dangerous thing to build your wall up with because I can count how high that wall gets if it's based on wealth. And everything I spend and everything I give away and everything that gets taken from me breaks my defense down. But the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The, the godly can run to him and be safe. So I want to push into this. I think, I think a lot of people, I think we really think that we're anchored in God and it's because God is present in our lives. The way we think we're all generous, but are we really generous? The way we think we're all you know, disciplined, but are we really disciplined? We just are right now. Um, I think we, a lot of us, probably all of us in this room, if, if we're in church today, you know, probably think, yeah, God is, we're anchored in God. Woo, it's, that's the good answer. And they're convinced of this because, you know, God's just a part of their life. But the truth is he might be somewhere up here. First story, second story, third story, fourth story. And so the question I want you to ask yourself is, is God your foundation or is your faith in him built on top of other factors in your life? And uh, here's the guy I look to for this. The guideline story is the story of Job, okay? I'm gonna give the short version of this. This is a long story. But Job is this figure in the Old Testament who is wealthy, he is respected, he is loved, he is powerful, he is the guy. He's like Tony Stark, all right? He's got it all. And uh, in, in the story in the Old Testament, he loses his wealth, he loses his children, they all die. And he had a lot. He loses his respect. He even loses his health. It's where he's covered in boils and is diseased. A man who woke up in the morning and all of his wealth and grandeur in his mansion, probably thinking it would be a normal day. And like that, wealth, gone. Respect, gone. Station in life, gone. Children, gone. And Job loses everything um, he has, but his faith remains. It's amazing because he makes numerous uh, mentions to how no matter what he has or what his life is like, that he knows his Redeemer lives and he can stand in that truth. It's phenomenal. He even says this line, I love this, naked I was born and naked I return. He doesn't forget that he was born with nothing and had nothing and, and the stuff he got just kind of got piled on by chance. And so, so we like Job because Job is like our poster boy for like how to, you know, have faith if everything goes wrong. Here's the character we always forget about in the story of Job. We just treat, treat this person like the villain. Job's wife. She had money. She had kids. She had power. She had status. She stood beside Job. Everything Job had, his wife had. Everything Job lost, his wife lost. And we never focus on her. And there's so much richness in this character because she has one line that I can recall, and maybe there's another, but if, not, it, if there is, it's not important. She looks at Job sitting pitifully covered in 
disease, lost everything. Holding on to his faith regardless. And she walks up to him and she goes, curse God and die. Essentially saying, you idiot. You have no reason to believe in God anymore. Just, just roll over and die. Quit, like, quit prolonging your suffering. And this is why I love that line. Is you watch two people who had the identical factors in their life. And you figure out real close whose foundation was what. Job believed God was good and alive and loved him. He happened to have stuff. He happened to have a nice home. He happened to have kids. He happened to have money. But even when all that got wiped away, there was still a firm slab that says God is good and has a plan for my life. And when the storm came and the mast got destroyed and Job lost his crew and he lost everything on his boat, he dropped the anchor and stayed tight. And even when the storm passed and he had nothing, when all the bad was gone, he pulled his anchor up and continued sailing, focused, shaken but not stirred. Job's wife, God was there, but he was, he was somewhere like up here. I have stuff in my life's really good. Oh, sweet. Oh, I also have you know, this and that. Oh, God must be good. Like somewhere up there was her belief in God. It was on top of all the other stuff. So the second she lost whatever that trigger was, whatever that foundation was, the second maybe it was money. Maybe she could have lived without the money. Maybe it was her kids. Maybe she could have lived without her kids. I don't know what it was, but something caved, and when it did, took God and everything else down with it in her life. So I think here's the really big question that we have to ask ourselves, and this is how I'm going to wrap up today. When your life is unstable, is your faith in God shaken? Or does your faith in God remain? And conversely, when everything is hunky-dory, perfect, and stable, do you have faith in God? Is it stable because you're rooted in God, or is God in your life because your life happens to be stable at that time? If God is the firm foundation, then no matter what happens, like Job, you can drop that anchor, you can build that up, and you can be locked in till that storm passes, knowing that God is good, that he has a plan for you. It doesn't matter what else happens. Being rooted in the fact that God loves you and is good and has a plan for you is enough. It's enough to weather the storm. It's enough to uh, get through anything. But if the goodness of God, if your theology is based on the fact that you have stuff, Therefore, God has to be good because who else gave you the stuff? Then the second the stuff's gone, God is out of the equation. Which means when we wake up in the morning, not knowing whether we're gonna be praising or mourning at the end of the day, if we don't have God, if we're not rooted in God, that means we may not know at the end of the day if we're gonna believe in God or not. And that should be a scary thing to you. So here's the big question today. Is your life rooted in God? 
I want to challenge you. I think uh, one of the dangers that we do or one of the mistakes we make as, um, in, in our church life just in general and the way churches do things is we have this great time of worship. We have um, this great message, uh, if I do say so myself. And, um, and we have this stuff and like the spirit moves and God convicts us of stuff, but then like immediately, pew, we end service and like we start hanging out with our friends and we go to lunch and we do all this other stuff and we didn't have like time to get whatever was kind of eating at us for a minute. So I wanna pump the brakes before we end everything. And um, I wanna take time, the band is gonna play um, some songs here. They're gonna worship for a little bit, just create this atmosphere, but I don't want you to sing with them, not yet. I want you to take time and look in your heart and, and evaluate and ask yourself this question. Where have you cast your anchor? What areas do you have a foundation in? What's at that base? And, and here's a question. Have you even cast your anchor? Maybe you're in here and every time something happens, every time adversity comes, you get blown eight miles off course and you're really sick of it. And you really wanna know, you know more about how you can get God in your life and base your life on that, if that's the case. Um, and, and maybe you need to recast your anchor. You know, maybe, maybe things have gotten a little weak. Maybe you feel it slipping a little bit. That's what I want this time to be. This time is whatever you wanna make of it. But I want you to take time, evaluate your life, spend a little bit of time in prayer. Um, and you can together just take a few minutes and ask yourself, what is my foundation? God, I just pray during this time that your spirit would be with us, God, and would convict us uh, this week, uh, Lord, and point out areas in our life, God, that we need to recast, that we really need to build things up, God. God, you have a plan for us, God. You have this wonderful wisdom for us to succeed in life, God, just to knock this thing out of the park, Lord. So I pray that during this time and through our week, God, that you would build those things up, that you would bring them to our attention. Amen.